Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And we'd like to say special love to our one and only fan. I have a magnificent bitch face. You know I do. <laughs> I can actually vouch for that. <laughs> I was like, should I say that? I'm going to say it. Do it. Always do it. Go with your instincts. As a fellow member of the RBF Club, <laughs> today we'll be discussing Dragonbound by Thea Harrison. After taking a penny and leaving a penny, Pia Giovanni is wrapped into the loving and smothering wings of an ancient dragon. All Drago's Quilibre, aka the dragon, wants to do is protect her as if she were the most valuable treasure in his hoard. Unfortunately, Pia's theft has far-reaching complications that put them both in danger, and while Dragos has forgiven her, he has no intention of letting her go. There will be spoilers beyond this point, and we have a content warning for vast amounts of dubious consent. Well, Erica, how's Pia's life going when it starts? (laughs) Well, Em, Pia is freaking the fuck out (laughs) because her shithead ex-boyfriend, Keith... (laughs) But has blackmailed her into doing something terrible. <laughs> uh, and now well, uh, she's trying to avoid the consequences of said actions. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude. Uh, yeah. Okay. This is this is a paranormal slash fantasy-ish romance. The the setting is like magical beings have always existed. And now they're out, so it's kind of contemporary. New York is like the hub of weird kind, which is like where all the magical beasties that can change to look like people live. Well, not all of them, but it's where a lot of them live. It's their kingdom. I do love that there were a bunch of humans that didn't believe. (laughs) They're not really there. All evidence to the contrary. Awesome. Pia is is weird. Mm Mm-hmm. But throughout most of the book, we don't know what she is, although you can kind of suspect early on based on all the clues the author gives us. But she is a very rare, rare breed. Pia's half weir, actually. So her mother, who is her weir side, had her with her father, who is human. And then when her father died, her mother was like, well, shit, I'm going to waste away now. But managed to raise her child until she was about 19 or so. To live in complete fear of (laughs) (laughs) the big bad world. Yeah. You must hide. (laughs) You must have 50 alternate identities and different caches of money and whatnot all over the place. Never tell anyone who you are, really. And never let anyone get close to you. Which she does. And then, of course, then she tells Keith and it backfires. So her mom was kind of right a little bit. Well, she was, but I don't know. Pia kind of has a little bit of bad judgment because I think she could tell some people and it'd be fine. Yes. But she tells Keith and Keith is a jerk. Keith has a gambling addiction and Keith has a lot of debts. He's caught the attention of some really big bad people and kind of let slip something about Pia that she can get through any lock. (laughs) And these big bad people are like, oh, that's very interesting. (laughs) here's a charm to find the dragon's treasure yeah have her steal something from that 
And of course, Keith is like, okay. And so he goes to Pia and he's like, yeah, so you're going to do this because you care about me, right? And Pia's like, um, dude, we broke up. He's like, yeah, but they're going to hurt me if you don't do this. And she holds the charm and she realizes how big and bad these people are because she can tell. She can feel the magic coming off of it. She kind of feels like, well, I'm in a shit situation here, aren't I? Because <laughs> we all know you don't want to steal from the dragon. No, it typically <laughs> doesn't go well for the thief. <laughs> but she also doesn't want to piss off the people who created this charm. Yeah. So she does. She goes... She finds the dragon's hoard. Ah, card place. She steals a penny and she gives one of her own pennies to replace it along with a note on the back of her receipt. I'm sorry. That says something like, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Please don't kill me. <laughs> I had to do it. <laughs> and then she heads over to the local witch's shop to buy a binding spell so that she can prevent Keith from ever using her identity against her ever again. And the witch sells it to her. And then she goes to Keith's and says, yeah, I got the thing you wanted, but you got to read this first. And at first Keith is like, no, I'm not going to read that. But she kind of talks him into it. And <laughs> he reads it, which means that now if he speaks about her, he will be in complete horrible pain for the rest <laughs> of his life, which really sucks for Keith. We find out. Yeah. That was kind of terrible. <laughs> I don't know if he necessarily earned that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and then she gives him the penny and leaves. She heads over to Elfie's, which is a bar, I guess, that she works at where she tends bar. Ten the bar where she tends bar. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I've had those days too. Because she wants to tell her boss, Quentin, goodbye. After her mother died, Pia went and got herself a job at this bar and formed a relationship, a friendship with Quentin. She's always wanted to like belong somewhere. And I think this bar is like her home at the beginning of the story. As much as she's allowed to have one. Yeah. And he's like her found family. Yeah. And she tells Quentin what... You know, well, she doesn't tell him that what she did. She tells him that she's leaving <laughs> and he realizes she's in trouble and he's like, let me help you. We don't know what he is, but he has connections to the elves and he has a lot of political power, I guess. And so he has some pull. He's got some friends he can call in to take care of shit. But she's like, yeah, no, unfortunately, this involves uh the dragon so <laughs> yeah please don't get yourself killed to try to help me <laughs> i would appreciate it <laughs> and he's like well i'm still gonna help you and so he gives her the key to his beach house that's in elvish territory in is it north carolina yes i think i think so he also gives her a nondescript car and so she is on her way on the run meanwhile dragos has discovered that something was taken from him and he roars. And this is a incredibly fearsome, loud, damaging roar. It like damages buildings. It's so <laughs> damn loud. And he's got his sentinels, which are all different 
types of weir. I think most of them are griffins, but there's also like a harpy and a thunderbird one. They're all flying predators out looking for this thief. He found the note. He likes how it smells. And he's noticed that it's on the back of a receipt to 7-Eleven. And so he manages to get the 7-Eleven security footage and figure out who bought the things on the receipt and that way narrow down who the thief is. Already, this is an obsession for him. (laughs) Yeah, he really latches on. Yeah, because, okay, one, he's a dragon shifter guy, so he has a horde. He has a treasure. As one does when one's a dragon. He cares a lot about it. He doesn't want anyone to touch it. No one has ever found it before. He's really pissed off about it. Two, that receipt smells pretty damn good. He likes how it smells. (laughs) He's intrigued by it. (laughs) Three, when he's a dragon, he's like the size of a small jet. (laughs) So he's fucking huge (laughs) and scary. He's a big boy. And four... He's existed basically since the dawn of time. (laughs) He's an old big boy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he's got a lot going on. He's definitely more dragon than he is man. Eh, Yeah. He's the king or the ruler of the weir kingdom. He's the one that got all the different weir kinds together and created a kingdom out of all these different possible factions, which enabled them to still have power in the face of like elf kind and the fae and whatever the fuck else is out there. I think in this book, we just have elves and fairies and where Yeah, there's mention, like there's a griffin, like there's mentions, but it's not in depth. Well, the griffins are where or we're. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So they fall under the yeah oh and then there's like witches but witches are human the witch that pia got her spell from is human or is it just that they're predators i don't know because i remember later a doctor makes that distinction no 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 no. okay so they're they're both weird it's just some of them are herbivores and some of them are carnivores kind of like in that disney movie with the bunny and the fox they all live together happily now yes I get it. (laughs) Zootopia? Yes. It's like that, only they actually turn into people instead of just being anthropomorphic. In Zootopia, they did the thing too, where predators were dudes. You know what I mean? Like it was meant to be like the patriarchy and... I don't know. I mean, some of the sentinels, there's a woman sentinel who's a predator. Well, it's not as cut and dry. Yeah, I didn't see that correlation. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. They're all where they all live together in New York. All right, well, we got through the first four bullet points. (laughs) Yay! Pia has made it to North Carolina. She stops for the night at a hotel or motel, I guess, really. It's like crappy. And she goes to bed and she has a very sexy dream (laughs) because Dragos has been able to track her enough that he's able to send a beguilement her way and cause this dream to try to force her to give herself up, I guess. I think that was his initial thought. Probably. The beguilement was meant to give the receiver a dream that would be about their biggest desire or biggest wish. In Pia's case, it's a very sexy dream. Indeed it is. Actually, I hesitate to call it sexy 
in Pia's case, it's a dream with sex in it. Yeah. But it's creepy, too. He is in this dream. She goes to him. She recognizes who he is. They're both totally hot for each other. There's making out. There's grinding. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And then he tries to get her to tell him her name. And first she tells him her human name. And he's like, no, 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 your true name. Because this is one of those books where, you know, your true name has power and whoever knows it can control you. And she refuses. And she's able to refuse because, one, her mother's deep-seated conditioning throughout her early life. And two, her mother also put protective enchantments all over Pia's brain. (laughs) Dragos is able to look inside her head and see this... I don't know. He calls it like an elegant citadel or something like that. And he can make it go away. But if he does that, he's going to break her mind and he doesn't want to do that. So he doesn't, which is nice. When Pia finally refuses him, no, I'm not going to tell you my name. Fuck off. The dream dissipates and they both wake up completely horny, (laughs) super horny. And then Pia is like, well, that was nice, but I'm going to hurry along now. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting a little scary here. So she gets back in the car and starts driving toward Quentin's house. Dragos wakes up and he's like, I need a witch (laughs) to put a tracking spell so I can find this person, this thief. Pia makes it to Quentin's beach house. She feels safe. She's starting to think, okay, I'm going to make a plan. I have to do something that is unpredictable. I can't stay here forever, but this is a good resting spot. And she's trying to like just kind of chill out and center herself and figure out her next move. And she goes outside and she's walking on the beach. And then the shadow. (laughs) The shadow nose. Swoops down (laughs) out of the sky. (laughs) And tackles her to the ground. And she is captured by the dragon. Oh no. Once he's out of the sky, it's like he lands and he's human at that point. Or in his human form. So she's not crushed. Yay. Although he is fucking huge. Like, isn't he like almost seven feet tall or something like that? And she's she's like 5'10 or something. So yeah, it's a pretty big difference. He's he's ginormous. <laughs> he can tell that this is the thief because A, the tracking spell. B, she smells like the receipt. <laughs> Gotta love that powerful sense of smell. Uh-huh. Also, he realizes how young she is and that she's part human He's flabbergasted. He can't figure out what kind of weird she well, I mean, is. Everybody's going to be young to him. He's 5,000 years old. She's like an infant to him. And I think they even make that comparison. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about age a little bit because there's a couple characters in the story. We do learn what their ages are. There's his PR fairy, Trix, mm-hmm. who's 200. So she's relatively young. Yes. There's Dragos who is a billion million years old there's pia who's 25 and pia and Trix age doesn't even seem to be like a factor when those two interact Trix seems like she's about pia's age kind of yeah i kind of wonder like if they just find a personality age and stick with it maybe hmm. dragos has been around so long as like he basically doesn't really bother to human he just looks human and he's very bossy and he's like trying to boss her and she for whatever fucking reason decides she's gonna 
turn it into a joke. <laughs> She's terrified he's going to rend her limb from limb. And I guess her defense mechanism is humor? Yeah, there are several times in the story where I was like, I don't know if, if lighthearted was the way to go. But since this leans heavily towards fantasy and comedy, I don't know, kind of makes sense. I think I can get where the author's coming from because Dragos is so old that everything is boring to him and she's snarky with him and he likes that because no one's snarky with him because they're all terrified of him. Yes, this is the guy whose friends are his employees. He doesn't have peers. Nope. The closest he has to a peer is like the fake king who's his arch nemesis (laughs) or the elvish royalty who he also doesn't like. Yes. But he's huge and powerful and scary it's not that he can just shift and everything he's got all sorts of magic going on in fact i think he says at some point he's more magic than anything else and he's intrigued by her snark yep and her smell and the fact that she was able to find his hoard and get in yeah she is unusual ergo he must know more she refuses for most of the story to open up to him about who she really is who her mother was yes her personal stuff like that like she'll talk about her history fine but not her true identity he doesn't like that because he's decided i think at this point she belongs to him yep he's gonna keep her And I think at one point later on, one of his sentinels even says Pia has replaced his treasure. (laughs) She's the treasure now. And I'm all, yeah, that kind of makes sense the way he treats her. Yeah. So because Pia is able to defuse the situation with Snark, he suggests that they go inside the beach house and talk. And she's like, okay, well, if you're going to kill me, can't you just kill me now and get (laughs) it over with, please? Must we delay? He's like... No, I haven't decided what I'm going to do with you yet. I want to play with my food. Come on now. (laughs) Well, he does eat her later. That is true. Out. (laughs) They get inside and she's like, do you want me to order some food for you? Because I don't think you want anything that I have because I don't eat meat and it looks like you do. (laughs) He's all, yes, sure. Order food for me. And so she picks up the phone and she makes a call and orders a bunch of steaks or something. But if you're the reader, you can tell that's not really who she's called. Dun, dun, dun. And she says, oh, it'll be an hour. He's like, that's fine. Meanwhile, you can tell me what I want to know. Pia tells Dragos about how Keith blackmailed her. And Dragos is like, yeah, I know all about Keith. He's dead. He died a bad death. (laughs) When when Drago said that Keith's death was a bad death, he was being pretty tactful, yeah. I think. <laughs> Especially for him. Yes. <laughs> when we learn what a bad death means, <laughs> it's really fucking bad. That's not good. Yeah. Uh, Keith got tortured by the people who gave him the charm mm-hmm. to get more info about how the penny was able to be stolen. And because Keith had a binding spell, he couldn't say. Ouch. Anyway, I'm not going to go into detail. It's nasty. Pia tells Dragos that Keith was under a binding spell. And so he couldn't have told them anything about her. Because I think even now, Dragos is worried about protecting his treasure. (laughs) My precious. He's like, are you sure Keith couldn't have told them anything about your identity? And she's like, well, nothing beyond what he had told them before. 
And then they talk a bit about the tracking charm that Pia used to find the Horde and how Dragos thinks that charm could probably have been used to find anything because it was pretty damn powerful and he had a lot of wards and protective spells and such around his horde. The fact that it was able to get through all that makes it a pretty big deal. However, he points out that the charm could not have unlocked anything (laughs) and none of his wards look like they were broken. And so he's very curious about this. And Pia's like, okay, fine, I'll show you my power. It's stupid, but whatever. She does sound like that. Yeah, she does. Like, I'm not, not, that's kind of, she's like, yeah, this is just a party trick. She totally downplays it. Like, that's the thing is like, in my head, he's really like this grumpy old man. And she's like this teenager. Yeah, basically. Because that's how their interactions seem to play in my head. I am sure that was not the author's intent. I hope not during some of the scenes, especially. But that is how it played in my head because of how they were behaving. Yeah, it's tough when you have a story like this where one of the characters is vastly older than the other because they're an ancient magical being. And they're so set in their ways. They just have to drink their prune juice and they just have to do whatever. Even if they've kept up with the times and modernized along with the world and changed their viewpoint and evolved personally or whatever throughout their existence, it's still creepy because they're a billion years older than the other character yeah even if the other character is reasonably adultish aged yeah because 25 is fine normally but then if you add in like any hiccup like what you're talking about someone who's very set in their ways someone who hasn't evolved with the times for example or someone who has no close peer relationships or anything to keep them grounded whatsoever it gets a lot harder to uncreepify yeah. it. And I don't know how effective it was. I think some readers probably are totally fine with this sort of thing. If you read a lot of paranormal romance and you're cool with it, you're into it, it probably won't ping those bells for you. But for someone like me who's like, ew, vampires are old and you're like with a young you. Yeah. That's like this times yeah, like a million. basically. <laughs> so it... Yeah, it's kind of just like your tolerance level for it, I think. Yeah, it just it depends what a reader's into. Yeah, because I don't think the author does a terribly bad job of handling it, but... No, I don't think she does. It just depends if you're into it. Yeah, I mean, you like exactly. what you like, right? And it's not my thing. It's, 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 it's not Em's no. thing either. <laughs> As you can probably tell. <laughs> All right, so back to Pia's power. She thinks this is like the only cool thing about her. Her mom has got her so locked up inside herself, protected and all these things. She has not had a chance to really explore if she has other magical powers or anything like that, really. So she goes outside and she tells Dragos to lock the door and close it. And he's at first like, no. And she's like, dude, if I'm going to run away, you can just catch me again. It's fine. He closes the door and then she just opens it and walks back (laughs) inside because locks don't bind her and he's all do that again so he locks the door she goes outside he closes it she opens it walks back in he is astounded by this he wants to know how she can do this she's not going to tell him anything else she's just like yeah it's just a thing about me i do this i'm cool like that bro (laughs) 
And then Drago says, well, you committed a crime and now you must serve me until the debt is paid. Great. I mean, yay. And she's all, yeah, um, I don't know if that's something I like or can agree to. He says, basically, well, you're one of my treasures. <laughs> you can think about the penalty all you want, but you really don't have a choice in the matter. Because I'm godlike in my abilities and you're not. So <laughs> cave now. <laughs> 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 so true i think though that the reason he gives is that he's the king of the wares or whatever and she's one of his subjects so she has to obey his laws or some shit See, this thing it's called a criminal they don't obey laws it's a general rule <laughs> uh yeah she's still kind of worried he's gonna kill her like okay so you're just gonna mess with me until you get tired of me and then you're gonna kill me i think that's where she's at at this point in her headspace yep foundations of love now the <laughs> sorry i told you i was snarky i've warned you there was warning <laughs> the food quote delivery quote arrives and Pia is all of a sudden, oh shit, no, I can't let Dragos open the door and get whatever is coming to him. She tries to prevent him from answering the door, but Dragos is already in protector man mode. And he's like, <laughs> no, me, I go, not you. Who knows what the fuck is out there? Me, man. You woman. <laughs> me, dragon, you Basically. treasure. Yeah. <laughs> So he goes outside. There's 12 <laughs> elves there. They look pretty badass and they all have crossbows. And one of them shoots Dragos and he's knocked down and actually wounded. Actually, actually wounded. Yay. And they tell him, yeah, you broke a bunch of treaties by entering our lands without permission. So we're going to give you 12 hours to leave. And after that, there will be consequences. The arrow that they wounded him with has poisoned him. So he is unable to change form. He is severely weakened. He's not going to die, but he is less powerful than before. Oh no, how hard for him. A weakness. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a hold of Pia. Pia wants to go talk to the elves and parlay on Dragos's behalf. It's her fault he got wounded and she feels bad about it <laughs> because he hasn't killed her yet. And after all, she did steal a penny yeah, from him. Yeah, I don't get her thinking. Although she didn't, st she traded yes. a penny. Not only that, but does that mean he gets to do whatever the F he wants in the name of retribution? Yes, M, because she found his treasure. Uh-huh. She encroached upon his personal space against uh -huh. his permission. And he continues to encroach, but it's fine. That's the retribution. Yeah, I don't get it. You encroached. Now I encroach. As soon as they had their first kiss, I was like, oh, it's this is how it's going to go. Great. <laughs> well, yeah. But I'm a person. Can't you treat me like a person? Nope. You're my shiny new toy. You are my bestest toy and I love you so much. I will make sure nothing bad ever happens to my bestest toy. <laughs> you are my sex toy. You have nothing to do in life but lounge around and be pampered. Yep. And, and fucked whenever I want. The role of the bestest toy. However I want. <laughs> One of the elves recognizes Pia 
And she makes this running joke throughout the story. Anytime anyone is like, oh, you look kind of familiar. She goes, yeah, I look like Greta Garbo. I get that a lot. She does that joke here. And the elf is like, um, yeah, no, not really. And so he starts telepathically communicating with her, like, come with us. We'll give you sanctuary. We loved your mother and we would love to get to know you and take care of you and keep you safe from the beast. See, the thing is, is you're asking politely, which she's not into. And Pia's like, no, I feel bad because Jargos got wounded and it's my fault. He's just meeting out justice. I have to succumb to the justice. <laughs> and she convinces the elves to leave. <laughs> oh, she's tending Dragos's wound. Dragos says, well, we have time to rest before we have to leave. And Pia's like, um, okay, I don't really want to do that. I feel kind of amped up by all this. You had the opportunity to go, woman. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Drago starts petting Pia's head until she falls asleep. Pia, best pet. And he actually, he also kind of beguiles her too to help her sleep. And this is partly why I thought dubious consent was a big issue in this book, because he's constantly beguiling her to make her more amenable to whatever the fuck it is that he wants. Just drink the drink. Don't worry about it. It's so gross. Mm -hmm. You like it. You know you'll like it once it's it nice happens. It's nice and sweet. Just drink it It'll down. Good. When she wakes up, he suggests that they finish what they started in the dream because the dream was supposed to bring her biggest desire and he can tell that they both still want it because he thinks her biggest desire was sex with well, him. Of course. He can smell that she's aroused and he's also aroused. Pia's like, um, excuse you much, but sex with you was not my biggest <laughs> desire. Sorry to burst that bubble. Presumptuous much. <laughs> it wasn't exactly that. And in her head, she's like thinking about the dream and what the dream meant for her. And it really was about having a loving mate and a safe life and a permanent home and feeling like she belongs somewhere and is accepted by somebody. And he's like, well, explain. What was your biggest desire then? Tell me now. Because <laughs> I asked slash demanded. <laughs> He doesn't ask anything. At one point, he tells her, like, you won't do that anymore. (laughs) And she's just like, you won't do that anymore, please. And he's like, what? She explains to him, you know, it's common that when you ask people to do things, you say, please. And he says, well, I wasn't asking. (sighs) He does improve a bit over the course of the book. He does start saying, please. He does start being a little less demandy, but he's very bossy. Yes. So he's like, well, you're going to tell me what your desire was. And she says, well, it's just that the dream was partly true, but it's not just sex. That wasn't exactly what it was. And he's like, you're complicated. I like it because I'm not bored. And she's all great. Great. I'm an intricate toy. I'm a complex toy. This is wonderful. (laughs) Yep. She's a puzzle. A puzzling toy. A sex puzzle. I don't know what that is, but it sounds a little... uh, worrisome honestly (laughs) they get ready to head out and go back to his tower in new york which is basically like a small city in a city she finds out that he went through all her stuff and now knows some of her alternate identifications and knows how much money she's carrying and she's a little pissed about it and he says well you're mine and i'm gonna keep you safe she's like okay and then they kiss and then it turns into making out 
and then it escalates. And then all of a sudden, Pia's like, no, stop, stop. And he does. I think she starts feeling like a little freaked out by the escalation. Are you actually beguiling me or do I want this? Yeah, which is troubling. Now he does stop. Yeah, but the fact that she has to question it, it's like, dude, are you so insecure that you cannot just want enthusiastic consent? He does want enthusiastic consent, but he also wants to control her. What a toughie for him. (laughs) There are two different things that he wants. (laughs) Which will get me laid faster. (laughs) He also doesn't want her to be afraid of him. There are several points, and I think this is one of them in the story, where he realizes, oh, she's scared of me again, and he doesn't like that. And I think at one point he (laughs) orders her, you will not be scared of me anymore. And she's like, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) But I think most of the changes that he makes are in that direction to help her not be scared of him anymore. And help her see him as a partner and a protector versus a captor. Sure. So they start driving back to his kingdom in New York. And while they're driving, they start talking. And Dragos has the suspicion that it is the dark fae king, Urien. Gotta love that name. (laughs) Who is likely behind everything and who wanted something from his horde because he and Urien are arch enemies. Sounds like Urien in my head. Every time I read this name in this book, my brain told me Urien. Well, it probably is then giving the sort of vibe that the author wanted, right? Like... (laughs) You're not going to be like, yay, it's urine. You're going to be like, well, this is a problem. Urine is where I don't want it to be. (laughs) Urine wants my horde. (laughs) Exactly. Apparently, the way that the relationship between Dragos and Urien is in the present day is he he's a bigwig in the power industry. But he provides power in a non-sustainable way and destroys mountains. And Dragos likes mountains to stay the way they are. So he's like an environmentalist. He's an environmentally friendly dragon. Urien is not environmentally friendly. It's kind of funny how that is their current big issue well it's probably because dragos understands he may be a dragon but he this is the only planet nearby that can sustain his life as far as we know yeah i mean i'm sure it's selfish but it's just kind of funny the good guy is environmentally conscious and the bad guy is not but they're actually ancient (laughs) immortal beings yay (laughs) like it's just weird I liked it. So many of the others are just, they're all either romance related or it's just, they just don't like them. Oh, because they're horrible, because they do horrible things. But he also does horrible things. So they're kind of on an even playing field, really. Well, and Urien's thought process is, well, I don't live in human land very often. I like to live in the other land, which is the magical realm that is kind of like overlaid on top of the human realm, I guess. So he doesn't care because it doesn't affect him personally. Yeah, which makes sense. And Dragos likes to live in the human realm and he would like it to stay nice. Thank yeah, you. makes sense to me. It's not always about world domination. Sometimes it's just world preservation. It's actually a very timely sort of theme for us to be yeah. reading about right now. <laughs> 
Okay, so Dragos tells Pia about Urien, and then he realizes, oh shit, something is following us. He starts driving the car kind of fast. Uh-oh, oh no. But then another car, like, blocks him, and then another car, like, comes out of nowhere, and it forces their car to crash, and then they're trapped under this wreckage of the car that they were in. Dragos has protected Pia <laughs> with his body. Human shield. Dragon yeah. shield. Pia is unconscious. She's injured. Dragos is trying to like carefully pry apart the wreckage in such a way as to not injure Pia anymore. Whereas if she hadn't been there, he probably would have just been like, <laughs> and it would have like yeah. flown off. <laughs> and then they smell something really nasty and it's goblins. And the goblins load the wreckage of the car onto a flatbed with Dragos and Pia in the wreckage still and start to drive them away to an other land. Dragos continues to carefully try to pry them out of the wreckage. And he also notices that Pia's blood has some crazy unique power. He's not sure what it is. He's never seen it before. He uses his power to heal her wounds and then tries to wake her up. And when Pia wakes up, she realizes she's bleeding and starts freaking the fuck out. And she's like, I can't bleed. Get rid of it for me. She asks him to burn all the blood away and they strip her off nearly naked and they wipe up all the blood with her clothes. And then he wads it up and sets it on fire and uses it to <laughs> throw at one of the goblins. <laughs> He's still struggling to get them out of the wreckage because he refuses to allow Pia to be injured. And Pia, I think, starts worrying about this. She thinks he's his handicap. If she weren't there, he wouldn't be so careful. If she weren't there, this wouldn't even be a problem. Yes. Which she's right. I think it's around this time he tells her, you're not a weakness or an impediment or whatever, or a problem. You're a tactical consideration. <laughs> I liked that part. Yeah, that I good. liked that. I feel it was a bit tactful of him. Oh, yeah. See, you're not an issue. I care about you. Therefore, you're a tactical consideration. Now, he didn't say he cared about her. He yeah. said, you're mine. But yes. same difference for him anyway. As they travel into the other land... Pia can feel the magic calling to her and it's riling up the creature inside of her. <laughs> her were self wants to come out. She's never been able to shift, but she can feel like that aspect of her. They finally get to where the goblins are taking them. And then Drago says, okay, don't draw attention to yourself. They're going to want to use you to get to me. So if we act like you're not important, they'll just maybe leave you alone. He's like, they probably used the penny to track me we learned earlier in the book that in order to create an effective tracking spell you need something that belongs to the other person that they use or that's important to them or whatever so this penny is pretty damn important <laughs> to dragos so they were able to use it to track him they pull them out of the wreckage and they give dragos like some magical manacles to put on himself and pia can sense like this foreboding power She's like, no, don't do that. And he does it anyways. And then they beat Pia the fuck up, like badly, and lock her up in a cell. Dragos is stone-faced the whole time, which bothers Pia. 
and also bothers him. I think he's actually traumatized by watching her get beat up and he's doubly traumatized by being unable to react to it. Otherwise, he knows she'll have it worse. Of course, she's wondering, like, does he care? Yeah. Well, whatever. (laughs) And then they tie him down. So once he's manacled, they also manacle him again. And he's like spread eagle on the ground. Once things quiet down, Pia gets up and leaves her cage because she's just like, okay, well, I'm going to go find Dragos now. (laughs) Locks don't hold me. Fuck you. When she finds him, he's lying on the ground. Again, spread eagle, tied up, manacled, is terrible. She can't unlock him because it doesn't work that way. He sends her to go find weapons and hopefully something to pick the locks with. And she does and brings it back. And then he tells her, okay, we'll go back to your cell. And she does. He's like, I'll come get you when I'm ready. We don't get to see this. But after a while, Dragos does come back to get her. And he's basically dressed like <laughs> He-Man. He's got like the, <laughs> the leather straps across the chest and the weapon across his back. And he's just all kitted out. He's like, okay, let's go. So they manage to escape. And once they exit the fort or wherever it is that they're locked up in, he's like, okay, now we got to run away. And Pia's like, oh, no, I'm done now. (laughs) That's all I could do. I've had a long day. (laughs) And she passes out. And so Dragos picks her up and just starts hauling ass, carrying her the whole way. They run and run and run and run and run. And finally, they stop and make a camp. And they clean themselves in the stream. And then Pia has a nap. And she's dreaming about her mom and she's like why did you leave me and her mom's like i can't come back to the human world sorry but you have to go back to the human world pia this world is dangerous for you and the current world isn't when she wakes up she's glowing pia naturally glows she usually has a glamour to make the glow go away so she looks human so she's a little freaked out that she's glowing Dragos tells her, oh, you're fading away. (laughs) You're not to do that again. Okay. Don't die. You're not allowed to die. Okay, buddy. (laughs) And he just, he starts going off on the orders thing. Like, he's like, you are mine. You can't leave. And Pia, at this point, starts to realize that there's some sort of underlying emotional component to this that she doesn't quite understand. And she asks him what he means by that. And he's confused. He's like, I'm not sure. And she says, well, if I'm yours and you want me to be safe, does that mean you want me to thrive? And he's like, yes. And she says, well, I can't thrive when you're constantly barking orders at me. What? And he's like, oh, interesting. They talk about how she's feeling in the other land, you know, how the magic is calling to her and she feels different and all this. Dragos tells her that sometimes when halflings come to an other land, they're able to access abilities or traits that they weren't able to before. So it bolsters their abilities in some way. And then they have life-altering, mind-altering, loss-of-control-level sex. Every time they have sex, it's life-altering and mind-altering and loss-of-control-level. I don't know. Again, it's like, I don't know. Maybe she's into dubious consent and maybe she's into... The sex isn't poorly written, really. It's just, oh, it was amazing. Like, so amazing. Well, then clearly she's into it. So, yay. I feel like I was told it was amazing and I didn't get to be shown how amazing it was, <laughs> I suppose. I think that's what it was. i sorry. There's a lot of telling in the sex scenes. I feel awkward critiquing a sex scene. Honestly, it just feels kind of weird to me. But 
I don't want to be told that it's mind altering. I want to feel that it's mind altering. Well, it depends what is within the writer's repertoire. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure what they would do differently. I don't know. I guess my takeaway was, yay, they enjoyed themselves. Moving on. After the wondrous sex, they talk more about the other lands. There's some more world building. We learn that modern technology doesn't work in the other lands. And there's this whole sidebar about why that might be and... It's kind of weird in the middle of the book, but whatever. And also it kind of felt a little like superfluous. Why do we need to know any of this right now? Does it matter for the story? I didn't think it did. While they're talking and being intimate and learning more about each other and themselves and building their relationship, sort of, they suddenly smell the goblin stink and start running the hell away again. Pia is super good at running. She's really fucking fast. And in the other land, she's even faster than normal. And so she's actually faster than Dragos, (laughs) which I liked. And then cold power suddenly grips her. Ah. Dragos catches up and he roars and then the power goes away. And then Dragos says, oh, that was Urien. (laughs) Urien. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was a smell. (laughs) Ew. It was cold, Urian. That's not better. (laughs) They speculate that one of the elves back at the beach house could have possibly let Urian and the goblins know that Dragos was poisoned and is currently unable to shift into a dragon. And that's why they're being attacked right now. So they suspect one of the elves is a traitor. Because the elves and the Dark Fae don't get along either. Like, they're separate factions. There's more running, and now they're being chased by Dark Fae, who are riding, like, giant fairy dragonfly things. And they get cut off, and they're surrounded, and they're trapped. And it's like, oh no, what are we gonna do? Pia says, can you shift? And he's all, no, I'm not healed enough yet. And he says, well, maybe if I surrender, you can get away. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm not getting captured again. He says, well, we could both fight. And she's all, well, can I try something, though? And she takes a knife and she cuts open her palm and then she stabs like or cuts open. Well, actually, no, she's unable to cut it open. She's like squicked out by it. She asked him to cut himself where he got wounded with the arrow. And then she slaps her bloody hand on his bleeding shoulder and her magical blood mingles with his. Also magical blood. (laughs) Her blood is more magical and he's filled with this crazy, unique, magical healing power thing, which is able to heal him from the poison. And then he shifts into a dragon and the dark fae and the goblins are like, oh, fuck. And they start to retreat and Dragos attacks and massacres everyone there. And they're all dead now, except for the king no it's fine he kills everyone everyone yeah but they were bad goblins so it's fine and the fairies who are bad it's fine and then he picks pia up and flies them back to new york pia has a little reflection moment as she's in his claws literally what does my future hold now that this has happened i am best toy (laughs) am i his prisoner what am i to him his property (laughs) they get back to his tower They find out they've been gone for a whole week because time moves differently in the other lands. And then Dragos leaves Pia alone in a huge bedroom with guards to, quote, get her anything she wants. 
And then Pia is like, oh, I guess I am a prisoner after all. Dragos leaves. Pia starts snooping around the room. She notices all her stuff from her apartment has been moved there and organized. How convenient. And she's just like, when did he decide to do this? Was this before he caught me or after he caught me or before the sex or after? Like, I don't like Why what? is my underwear ironed? <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> she's happy that all her stuff is there. Like, her mother's necklace, for example, she thought she would never see it again. But she's upset Yay. because no one asked her what she wanted or how she felt about it or gave her a choice. Well, she doesn't have agency. No. So. so that upsets her. Sometimes I wish they would just accept it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dragos has a conference with his people, his sentinels. But he also feels conflicted about leaving Pia alone. He's worried because she seems to have pulled away from him. He feels like when they were in the other land and having sex and talking and everything, they were sharing stuff about themselves and they've formed a certain level of intimacy. And now that he's abandoned her alone in a giant bedroom with no explanation, she seems to have pulled away. <laughs> that. Age does not mean smarter, <laughs> clearly. He and his sentinels catch each other up on what's been going on. The elves have embargoed his businesses in response to Pia's disappearance, so the elves are personally invested in Pia. He tells his sentinels about what happened in the other land, aside from the sexy stuff, and that it's due to Urien. And then he declares a war between him and Urien. Is it a thumb war? No. Oh, and then Trix, his fey PR person, is apparently the true dark fey ruler, and Urien had killed her parents. And took over when she was 17 years old and she managed to escape and find sanctuary at Dragos's house. And he's like, yep, Trix, you're going to have to take over once I kill Urien. Could be your job now. You're going to be my puppet. <laughs> Not really, but it kind of feels like, yeah, I'm going to depose the leader I don't like and install a new puppet leader that I can control. Yeah, basically. I mean, it is. Yeah, kind of. As he heads back to his room to find Pia, he tells his top guys that even though Pia is the thief, she's also his and he's keeping her and they need to protect her with their lives. And they agree. While this conference has been going on, Pia has fallen asleep. Dragos gets in bed with her. Later, she wakes up naked with Dragos and he's initiating sexy times. Apparently, he beguiled her to help her sleep better. And that's also how he managed to undress her without waking her up. How thoughtful of him. They have more life-altering sex. He asks her for a lock of her hair. She's like, well, how much do you want? And so she cuts off a shit ton of her hair and braids it around his wrist for him. And then he clarifies that the guards are there for her protection when he is at war with Urien. But she is not a prisoner. <laughs> of war. <laughs> he wants to know stuff. He wants to know about her mom. And he wants to know how she was able to heal him with her blood. And she gets mad and deflects this. She's like, fuck you. I'm not telling you shit. Which I don't blame her, honestly. No. I mean, she's kind of mad about the whole, like, you moved me in without asking me thing. 
and you beguiled me to help me sleep and then the thing is is she's right a lot of the time it just doesn't matter because she doesn't have agency and he just overrules her because he has all of the power this is another thing like the scene the sexy scene really kind of squicked me out because she wakes up naked and he's like initiating sex with her but they're not at that point in their relationship that's not a thing that they've discussed and decided is fine or good or happy or consensual why would he talk to a toy i'm kind of not kidding no you're not kidding i mean that's kind of still where he's at i think in his headspace he's he's confused he doesn't know what she is to him aside from the fact that she's his most important possession Mm -hmm. and she keeps saying but i'm a person and he keeps saying but i love you as a toy or not i love but like but you're mine but you're my favorite toy isn't that good enough And to a certain extent, it kind of is. (laughs) They get told about a teleconference that the elves want to have. They want to see Pia on video so that they know she's safe and then they'll leave him alone. And Pia convinces Dragos to let her appear on this teleconference. And the elves are, again, super into her. Oh, wow. You should come visit us sometime. We knew and loved your mother. And you're amazing. And Dragos is super jealous because, one, someone else is talking to her, but two, they know more about her background than he does, and she won't tell him about it, and he's upset. How dare they know about my beloved artworks, Providence, and I don't. After the conference, P is really upset because of how Dragos is acting with her, and she's crying. Everything is just rising up. She was trained to live her life in secret, but she was so damn lonely that when she was with Keith, she told him stuff about herself. And that's what caused all these things to snowball. And now it feels like everyone knows about her and Dragos won't stop pick, pick, picking at her about it because he wants to know. And she's sobbing in the shower and he comes and like tries to comfort her. And I think he also tells her something like, you won't cry anymore or something like that. But I don't remember. I might just be making that up. Well, it sounds like him. I don't like that you're crying, so don't do it. It makes me have feelings. He finally, 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 for the very first time, asks her what she (gasps) wants. And she says she wants to feel safe and loved and I want to belong somewhere. And I feel like I've been living a half-life as a half-weird. And Drago says that he can tell that she's stronger after being in the other land. And he says he's helped other halflings shift before and he's willing to help her. And she's like, well, I'll think about it. So Dragos goes off to have work, tricks the fairy PR lady, corners Pia and is like, oh, you're awesome. Let's be besties. Let's have lunch later. Dragos is super into you. Pia's like, are you sure? Are you sure he's into (laughs) me? (laughs) I don't know. And then a couple of the sentinels have guard duty. And at first they're all like really standoffish with her. They don't like that he's treating this thief like a treasure instead of a thief. The two griffins that are currently guarding her are Rune and Graydon. They tell her, oh yeah, Dragos scheduled a personal shopper for you. Yay. And here's a credit card with your name on it. You get to go shopping. And then the personal shopper arrives and the personal shopper is like, oh, look, here's a new robe that covers your ass. Because <laughs> Dragos doesn't like that her robe that she owns is short and Rune and Graydon saw more than he wanted them to see. Again, not asking her how she feels about any nope. of this. 
Why would he? I liked this part. Pia gives the credit card to the shopper and says, Okay, well, why don't you go shopping and stock up every food bank in the state? Bye. <laughs> yeah, I like that I too. appreciated that. She She's kind of like, okay, well, he told me I could do whatever I want, right? As much as it's about being kind to those who don't have food and enough food, and that's great. That's awesome. I fully support that. It is also about getting back at him the only way that she can. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Super passive aggressive. And I'm just like, oh, this is so not good. But it's a book and they can't hear me. (laughs) Even if they could, I don't think it would change anything. (laughs) Now it's lunchtime. Pia and Trix have an extended lunch that turns into a drunken gab session. And Trix has given her all the details on everyone who works there. Pia's plastered by the time Dragos comes back from work to go find her. And we actually get a little bit of cute, happy couple stuff. You know, he's happy, she's happy, and whatnot. The next day, Pia does self-defense training with Rune and Graydon. At first, they're like, oh yeah, you know some stuff. Because she tells them, oh yeah, my mom made sure I was trained on all sorts of self-defense things. So Good job, And they're like, oh, okay, Uh (laughs) uh-huh. But then she kicks their asses. She's super, super good at it. They're not able to pin her or anything. And it's amazing. And a crowd has gathered and she's taking turns with all the sentinels. Like they all want a chance to try to pin her down or whatever. And then Dragos comes in and he sees her sparring and he He flies into a jealous rage because, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, he almost kills Rune, who's like his closest friend. His best employee. <laughs> Until Pia manages to talk him Let down. Let me manage his emotions. Stand back, everyone. <laughs> it's time for me to do the emotional labor part of the relationship. But you know, he breathes fire, so stand back. <laughs> and then they go back to their bedroom, and Dragos tells her that he thinks he's mating with her because apparently, when uh, where finds the one. They start behaving like a territorial beast. And he sees that in himself. And I mean, he's a territorial beast anyway. And it's worse now. But he does say that if she wants to leave, she needs to do it now. And he'll try really hard not to follow her. <laughs> Which I guess is good. I, I mean, it's sort of a choice. <laughs> like, I'll try to let you escape if you want to. Middle ground? (laughs) No promises, though. I do have my nature to combat. She's like, I need to think about it. And he doesn't like this. So he leaves and goes for a flight. Pia at first thinks, oh, I'm going to stay up for him. But she falls asleep. And while she's sleeping, she has a dream about a little dragon. And then when Dragos returns, he's prepared for her to leave him, basically. Like, he's he's defensive immediately. But she says that I want to stay, but before I can decide anything, like, before I can agree to be your mate or whatever, I want you to help me shift and see if I can actually shift. And the reason she's worried about this whole thing with her shifting is that currently she's mortal because she's half human. If she's able to shift, she'll become a full weir, and if her weir side is immortal, she will gain that immortality. Or if her weir side is longer lived, she'll gain that. And she does not want to negatively affect Dragos' lifespan 
because he is immortal and her mother was immortal, except she mated with a human who then died, which is why her mother died. She doesn't want to kill Dragos by mating with him and being mortal. Yeah, she wants to level up her lifespan. Only she's not worried about that. She's worried about the impact on Dragos. Do you think at that point that she's in love because she's now putting his life before her own? Yeah, I think the point when he's in the flight, when when he goes for a flight, she kind of organizes her feelings and decides, you know, I don't know that she says she's in love at this point to herself, but I think she is at that point. She's like, okay, I've decided that this isn't beguilement or Stockholm Syndrome. I actually care about him and want to stay, but she doesn't want to hurt him. However, she didn't want to hurt him Mm -hmm. at all anyways. Like when the elves shot him, she was really upset about it. That's why I was kind of confused because I'm like, is she in love at that point? Because she's never wanted him hurt. Is that indicative of her just not wanting to hurt things, aka being a vegetarian? She's not, or is she vegan? She says she's mostly vegan, but she'll have honey if it's ethically gathered or something. So is this just an extension of that or is it something more? I think it's both. I think it's complicated. And I think she has a lot of concerns because of her history with her mom too. Because her mom basically wasted away and died because her mate died. She doesn't want to do that to Dragos. Which is kind, but it's not, you know what I mean? Yeah, that in and of itself isn't love, no. I'm not saying I don't want her to be kind. I'm just... (laughs) trying to understand it's hard to know and at this point in the story she hasn't admitted it to herself if she does feel that way Mm -hmm. but she does want to stay and he has told her that he wants her as a mate and she wants to stay so it kind of feels like she's leaning that way at least who knows it's a mystery anyway she's like you need to help me try to shift before i can commit to anything and he's like okay well let's do that then and they go to a nearby other land so he can try to help her shift. And he tells her, you know, if you tell me your true name and let me remove the protection spells on your brain, then you'll have a better chance to shift. I can coax you over with the name and the spells won't prevent you from shifting. And so she agrees to all that. She's all, yeah, sure. Here's my true name. <laughs> so now you can control my soul and go ahead, remove the important protection that my mother gave me so that I won't be killed by anybody. It's fine. And yeah, that's great. He removes the protection. He uses the name to help coax her to shift. And she does shift (laughs) and she turns into a unicorn. And if you've been reading the book, you would know already basically that she's a unicorn because of all the hints the authors give us. Surprise! He's just like amazed and astounded and entranced and just like, holy shit. And the sentinels that had come along to guard them are also like, (laughs) oh my God, this is amazing. And they all are sworn to secrecy. And he's like, yeah, don't tell anyone, not even the other sentinels, because this is a super big fucking deal. They go home. The next morning they wake up and have sex again. And this time she tells him that he's hers. And he agrees with her. Damn right I am. And then she falls back asleep and has another dream about a little white dragon who calls her mommy. When she wakes up again, she realizes, oh shit, I'm probably pregnant. This is bad. I have an IUD. Uh Uh-oh. And she also starts doubting Dragos. Did he get me pregnant on purpose? Was this something he was able to do? Did he baby trap me? She convinces her guards to take her to Brooklyn. They do because Dragos has given them standing orders. Let her do whatever she wants. And as they're driving away, 
Drago starts talking to her telepathically. What did I do now? You said you wouldn't leave. What is going on? She's like, I need time to myself. And so he's like, <laughs> okay, fine. I'll give you the rest of the afternoon. But he doesn't really because then he goes and gets the witch to put a tracking spell on the lock of hair that he has around his wrist. <sighs> So irritating because it's like she doesn't have agency if it's granted to her. She can do whatever she wants as long as I say she can. They get to a weird clinic in Brooklyn and Pia wants to be seen immediately because she's worried that she's pregnant and that the IUD could hurt the baby. She speaks to her doctor and gets the IUD removed and the baby's totally fine. And the doctor reassures Pia that the pregnancy could totally have been an accident. It isn't necessarily a purposeful thing on the part of the father. So she's feeling a little bit better about all this. She's like, okay, all right. I was just freaking out because I didn't want the baby to be hurt. I was freaking out because I was thinking he was using this to control me, but maybe he didn't and I need to give him the benefit of the doubt and apologize and talk to him about all this. She telepathically tells Drago she's on her way home. She has big news and an apology for him. And then she gets hit by a dart. Uh And as she's passing out, she's approached by Dark Fae and also that witch. (laughs) Hey, I know you. There's that witch again. (laughs) When she wakes up, Dragos is in her head using her name, her true name, to help her wake up. She finds out she's tied up in the trunk of a car that's moving. She's able to telepathically communicate with Dragos and tell who took her. She tells Dragos about the baby, and that's why she went to the clinic. And then Dragos is like, well, you can't untie yourself because there are no locks, but can you open the trunk? Because that's locked. So when the car stops, she pops the trunk open and rolls to the ground. The person who is driving behind them gets out of the car and is like, oh my God, ma'am, were you kidnapped? And it's going to help her. But then the dark fae turn the car around and they (sighs) shoot that guy. And then they tranquilize her again and pop her back in the trunk. We do find out the guy lived. Yay, good Samaritan. When Pia wakes up, the dark fae king, Urien, is there. He questions her. She's able to tell him partial truths and use implications of other things she knows that he probably has a truth sense because he's really old and powerful so she has to be really careful not to lie exactly but she kind of heavily implies that she is dragos's captive and she was escaping from him she doesn't let on to the relationship that she and dragos have aside from that urian seems to have a suspicious amount of information from the elves we get confirmation that, yes, there is at least Uh-oh. one traitor elf. And Urian plans to keep her and use her abilities. And she asks him if she's a guest or a prisoner. And he says she's a conscripted employee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least he's honest. Yeah. <laughs> he locks her up in a room. He's like, yeah, I'll come get you later. Uh, after they leave, she's able to unlock the chained up windows because hey you know magical unlocking this she jumps out of the window and uses the chain from the window to kill one of the guards then she takes that guard's crossbow and shoots the other guards and then she runs away and as she's hauling ass through the forest urian telepathically tells her you made a huge mistake you were supposed to be my toy <laughs> Well, not really a toy. In his case, more like a tool. Like, I'm going to use you to do stuff because you have magical unlockingness. Although he doesn't know she has magical unlockingness. Okay. (laughs) He knows that she has magical unlockingness, sort of, because she's able to get to Dragos' treasure. 
But then he somehow thinks she's going to be fine in a jail cell. Yeah. A little short-sighted hey, there. Hey, he's a villain <laughs> with a lot on his plate. He's trying to blow up mountains for his power yes. empire. Pia is hauling ass through the forest. She keeps running until she steps in a hole and injures her ankle. And now she's like hobbling. She can still move, but she's not super duper fast anymore. And now Dragos is able to communicate with her. So that means that he's closer now because his telepathic range is like 100 miles or something. And now she knows he's coming for her. And then Urien and his men catch up. It's like, this is the big showdown. This is it. Pia gives Urien the middle (laughs) finger. She gets shot with a crossbow and falls down. And then a dragon plummets out of the sky and grabs Urien and rips him apart. And then I think massacres everybody else. I'm not sure. But I think that's kind of his MO. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising if he did. It's kind of fucked up, though. Like, I wonder how many of those dark fae are actually evil and how many of them are conscripted employees. Yeah, it doesn't matter. (laughs) His favorite toy was endangered. Ergo, fuck (laughs) him. Pia almost dies. It's terrible. But then her son, that is still basically a peanut, like bean-sized... Is able to help heal tries her to. with Dragos' yeah. power. Dragos gives him power to do it, but he's able to do it. Like, I don't think Dragos would have been able to do it on his own. And then she's healed, and she's all better now. And they finally share I love yous. And she finally admits that she is his. And they affirm that they are mates. And then he also sort of proposes to her. Like, he throws <laughs> a ring at her. Duck. And she's like, no, I don't. She's like, thanks. He's like, I'm yours. (laughs) And that's the end. One of the things I wanted to discuss a little bit is the fine line between ownership and love, Mm. especially Mm -hmm. in this story. A big romance trope, especially for paranormal, fantasy, sci-fi, anything like that, is the whole you're mine. Like this whole ownership sort of like we have this bond that cannot be broken. And it's really, really played up in this book, I think, to an uncomfortable degree. Yeah. I don't really mind that trope in most stories. I mean, one of the biggest subgenres I do enjoy is sci-fi romance. We get a lot of your mind in sci-fi romance. We get a lot of I'm a big, bad, barbarian-esque predator, and it's almost like an instinctual thing, and you belong to me. It is interesting that in the story, he's confused by it. Like, he's not sure what to call that emotion that he's having. Oh, his possessiveness? Yeah, and the closest thing that he can compare it to is the whole hoard, the Mm -hmm. treasure thing. That's his frame of reference, and I think that's why he's so big on the you're mine, you belong to me, say it, all that. But... I don't know that it was explored enough, him understanding that what he means is I love you and you're mine, as in be my Valentine, like you're mine, I'm yours, we're together, we love each other. I'm not sure that he figured that out, like that's where the line is. I agree with you, I don't think he understands that. I don't think he ever makes that leap. There are things that he does that show he's growing. You know, he does give her like, you can leave now and I'll try to leave you alone. Or you can do whatever you want. And he means it. We think. Although he said, oh no, take the day. And then he's immediately going to go after her. So maybe he meant it. (laughs) That was about her safety. It's always going to be about her safety. (laughs) 
That's true. Because that's why he has to control her, because she can't be left to make decisions about her own safety. And he's insecure. Very possessive. And possessive. There is an aspect to it that I sort of enjoyed, though, and that's the fact that he's a dragon. Yeah, I mean, it puts it in context of dragonness. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense for a dragon to be super over the top with it. So the author does a good job, you know, giving us the personality characteristics of the dragon in this story, for sure. But pushes it a little far with the you're mine, but then not enough growth around that, maybe. I agree. I also wanted to talk about how this is kind of related and it involves power distribution in this relationship. (laughs) What distribution? (laughs) Yeah, not only do we have the troubling you're mine sort of thing. But we also have, he's as old as the dawn of time. She's 25. He's super dominant and controlling. And she pretends it's a joke Mm -hmm. and rank sweeps it all. It feels almost like an abusive groomer type situation to me. Ew. Yes. I think the joke is made at the earlier part of the book where it's like, he was around when locks were invented. And I was like, oh, that's hyperbolic humor. No, no, they're being literal. Yeah. (laughs) Just, oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, how was the audiobook? So the audiobook was narrated by Sophie Eastlake, and I think she did a really good job. She definitely embodied Pia very well, and Dragos too. I was really impressed with how she did Urian. It was this very, like, smooth, funny villain. Yeah, I liked Urian in the book. Yeah. Kind of like oily Oh, business she did man. that very well. <laughs> Are you happy for their <laughs> happy that with a bit of hesitation in your voice. <laughs> I suspect I know the answer. Yeah, I mean, their happy was fine. I mean, me personally, I'm not happy, but it's fine. Honestly, I just sort of feel sad for them. Like, he doesn't really care if she loves him. He just cares about keeping he her does. around. I don't think so. I think he cares that I she loves him. I don't believe it. He cares that she's not afraid of him. Yeah, but I don't think that's necessarily all of it. The thing with romances that are like this is it's difficult to convince me anyway about the romance, but it's super difficult with dynamics like this as it relates to power distribution and things like that, because all the time just feels like she's just settling and just succumbing. Like, well, it is a pretty cage. He'll make sure nothing bad ever happens to me. You know, he's hot, so why not? Like, it's fine. But I am not at all convinced (laughs) of there being anything there but that's just me i didn't do this but i sort of regret that i didn't i felt like i needed a shot for every time he called her stupid oh yeah no he doesn't mince words no (laughs) he says exactly what he's thinking it's that sort of like well don't be stupid blah 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 excuse you yeah that's why again it's hard to convince me that it's not just like well he won't ever let me get away anyway and he's just so daggone powerful and now i've got a kid with him he'll never ever let me fucking leave now as if he ever would have before but maybe i'm just not understanding what about you are you happy for them (laughs) well i'm not i'm not happy for them And I think the biggest thing, which I think is what you're getting at as well, is that at no point are they ever, ever, ever equals. No. Even when she fully becomes her were self and now she's immortal and she has the powers that are her birthright, she does not have the experience he does. Her powers are different from his. Even if she didn't have the experience, he 
does not respect her. There is zero mutual respect. He just wants to control her because she's best toy. And she seeks retribution in the form of tit-for-tat behavior, like with the credit card. I think that's a good point, and I don't disagree. But I do think you're not giving him enough credit because he does have an infinitesimal amount of growth. (laughs) Where he starts saying things like, what do you want? And then trying to give her what she wants. And what would you like? And trying to give her that. And when she says things like, I want a choice, he tries to give her a choice. Now, granted, he is... By the nature of what he is, unable to give her a true choice. But he tries. Maybe that should have been more of the middle of the book, and I could see some better growth by the end. (laughs) Maybe. And it is difficult with the dynamic anyway, because of how godlike that character is. It's not this, but it's similar to like a parent-child dynamic. At no point, even when that child is a full adult, are you ever going to not be their parent. Yeah. You're always having some form of that dynamic. Yeah. And it's similar. He is always going to be basically a demigod and she's not. So it doesn't matter how much he says that she can choose things and how much he tries. Unless he's able to give that up, they're never going to be truly equal. That's true. And... He does not care about losing his immortality. Like once he decides you're my mate, I'm mating with you, this is what I want. And she's concerned about, well, if I stay human, you will die. He's fine with it. Yeah, he is. So as far as he's concerned, I think he wants to be her peer. He wants them to be equals. I think he just doesn't know how to act so he's a big fix-it project for her and he also is truly unable to be her equal do you think he really wants to be equal or i think he does i think that the scene where she Mm -hmm. tells him that he's hers he wants to be hers just as much as he wants her to be his he wants to be hers well hopefully they'll be able to accomplish that there there are more books in the series with them so how many books does it take like licks to the center of the (laughs) (laughs) all right let's rate them how do you rate dragos i put him as awful i just it's hard for me to be enthusiastic about a hero when he repeatedly calls her stupid (laughs) And anytime she tries to be, but I'm a person, he's like, it's okay. Just let me kiss you. I'm like, okay. There's the old man element, which just, just makes it worse. I mean, it's not the writing. I think it was well written. The writing was engaging. I just, yeah. It's very difficult for me to get behind a, you know, super dominant hero type. Or alpha type or whatever we're calling Yeah, he's definitely alpha. It's just fine. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? I rated him awkward. It's kind of along the same lines of what I was saying before, how the way he's written, the author has set it up in such a way that he's never going to be her equal. He's never going to be a true partner to her. Even if that is what he wants and he loves her And he feels like they're equals and he wants to be 
Like, it doesn't matter. He's not going to be. He can't be. It's different if the dynamic was set up to where if he wanted to have all the control genuinely and was as powerful as he was, all that's fine. Like, if it was hers to genuinely give to him, that is different. I think something that could have saved it is if we were able to explore her power of being unable to be trapped as being broader than just being able to get through locks and wards. If it was truly like, no one can trap me, then he wouldn't be able to trap her. Then it would be a choice. Yeah. Like if she came back, it's that whole like, if, if she gave him the control, then that's fine. But it wasn't. He just sat on her and then that was it. (laughs) You are mine. Submit. Exactly. And she just, I think she just gives up and is like, fine. (laughs) How, how do you rate Pia? then i want she's almost awesome she's not awkward she's not awful but i would say almost awesome because i think she tries i just think with the way it's set up it's super futile plus i mean there were some things that were awkward moments that were written as comedic that maybe shouldn't have been yeah you know like towards the end where she's i mean my understanding is that she's like clinging to life her attitude was more along the lines of oh i keep going in and out of consciousness this is so annoying (laughs) and i'm just going if it was written a little differently then you could still keep that but then have the reader be worried yeah that's part of the problem with these so impressively awesomely magical fantastical creatures and it would be really hard to create that oh no is she gonna die sort of tension i i could kind of see how that would work but it just the way it was written are you having a nope out teenage moment? <laughs> like what? <laughs> that's how I was hearing it. And maybe that's just something wrong with my head. But yeah, I would say almost awesome. She made very good points, but she needed to be able to actually get away or something rather than just their constant arguing. And then after all that arguing, there is such minimal movement. Uh, for me, I I rate her awesome. Ah, For much the same reasons you were saying, I really enjoyed her for the most part. Like, I liked her inner dialogue. I liked her snarkiness. She was funny. Yes, she was. She was very strong. She had a really tough life. She had a lot of shit going down. I could understand, like, her sadness at wanting to belong somewhere and never getting to and how the one time she tried to open up to somebody, it turned out to be somebody like Keith. Yes. R.I.P. Keith. And how she would be that much more stringent about guarding those boundaries after that. Like, well, I'm not going to let anyone else do that to me until I'm 100%. They're not going to use it against me. Do you think it would have helped at all to have more instances of Keith abusing that privilege? If she'd been in love more and he's just like, just this one time, babe. Okay. And then have it escalate to a point to where... That's why she has this fortress. I don't know about that, but I do have to say that at the beginning of the book, she's already committed the theft and now she's trying to deal with the fallout. So we don't ever get to see that scene where Keith blackmails her. Yeah. It's just something that we're told happened. And I kind of feel like maybe that scene could have helped. We would have maybe been able to understand how she feels in that moment. The absolute betrayal of it. Because she had broken up with him, but she didn't expect that. Yeah. So that's like a huge slap in the face. 
maybe that would have helped. I don't know. I think also, while I did like her sense of humor and her snarkiness and all that, there were times when I felt like she should have taken things seriously. And a lot yeah. of that is when Dragos is ordering her or telling her things or whatever, and she just makes it into a little joke and then is somehow able to rug sweep it and then it's no longer an issue for her. But is it actually ever dealt with? I don't know. And that kind of bothers me. Like, that's how she's going to deal with this. And she's going to be with him forever now. Yeah. So is that what she's looking down, you know, the rest of eternity? She's just going to be constantly like, oh, yeah, well, he's just like that. He <laughs> he. No, I think she will. I think that's part of where it was like, that's where I felt the age difference. As an adult, I would assume that she would want to fight for her agency more and would be really angered at just getting ordered around. Well, I feel that while Dragos is completely unaware of the fact that he could never be a true partner to her, she's completely aware that she could be killed by him at any moment. Yeah. <laughs> she knows that she has no control. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe she's just like, okay, well, I don't have any control, so I might as well try to make light of it. I think this couple very much highlights, at least at least with heterosexual couples, where it's like, oh, he could kill her. Oh, yeah. Oh, she could hurt his feelings. <laughs> Different things to be afraid of. <laughs> Welcome to womanhood. <laughs> Don't make him angry. <laughs> How do we feel about the antagonists slash villains in the story? For the antagonists, I have the ex, of course, and the goblins. I thought both of them were effective. I actually really like the way Eastlake did the X too. I probably worded that weird and I'm sorry, but I'm moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really enjoyed the Dark Fae Lord by Urine, however the hell you pronounce that name. Like I said, Eastlake did a great performance. And then by the time we actually got to the dude, I wanted more of him. I love his smarmy. But then he gets rended. I know. Boo. But yeah, I thought he was effective. I personally enjoyed him. And yeah, Dragos too, because more than anything, he is her antagonist. He's effective, I suppose, at being antagonistic. And he brings out my inner <laughs> fuck you, dude. What can I say? Anyway, what about you? What's your list? Oh, should the mom be on the list? I don't know. Yeah, I feel iffy about the mom. But yeah, I kind of wonder because she's very close with her mom. She loves her mom, all these things. But at no point is it pointed out or recognized that the mom severely fucked with her. Yeah. Pia almost went from like one controlling relationship, like with her mom, <laughs> to a second controlling relationship with Tragos. Totally. With a brief little moment of autonomy in between. Yeah. Okay, so for my list, I put, of course, the goblins and Keith and Urian. And I agree with you. I thought they were all effective. I enjoyed Urian as well. I liked how he was like, let's make a deal. Uh-huh. He was selling what he wanted to her. Now, he was going to make her do it regardless, but he was trying to sell it to her. And he was being honest about it. I like an honest yeah. villain. Even if they're terrible, it's like, you gotta kind of respect it a little. I also put the witch, the one that does mm. all the tracking spells, because, I don't know, we don't get a lot about her, except that she's a super powerful witch, and is good at tracking spells, but it's like, she has no loyalties whatsoever, which, I mean, okay, fine, she's just a business owner, that's fine, but still, a little weird. Maybe she finds love in a later book. She's dead. Oh. Urian killed her. Oh. 
How did I miss that? I don't know, but they found her dead. Urian was covering his tracks. I also put the Elvish Traitor, which I would rate as ineffective for this book because I feel like that's probably something that will be brought up later in the series, Mm. heavily hinted at in this book. I also put Ariel, who is one of the Sentinels. We didn't really talk about her, but she is, I think, the only female in Dragos's group of Sentinels, and she's a harpy, and she really hates the fact that Dragos is giving so much leniency to Pia. She does find love later in the series. I, I kind of figured, like, a lot of books will be about the Sentinels, but I don't know if she's really effective. She was just kind of, like, annoying, I guess. Mm. And then I also put Dragos because he is her enemy at the beginning of the book. She stole from him and now she's worried he's going to kill her and she's running away. So he is an antagonist. I mean, we discussed what their relationship is like. So (laughs) I would say he's effective as an antagonist, but he doesn't really grow away from it as much as I would like for a hero. Yeah. I think it's it's kind of like a, I don't think this book is, but it's kind of like an enemies to lovers where he's really good at picking on her and, and now he needs to stop, but he doesn't. Yes, because how can you make the ancient dragon stop doing something? It's like, I mean, where does a thousand pound gorilla sleep? Anywhere he wants. What did you rate the book? I rated the book a three. I did enjoy her humor. I did enjoy how well it was written. And yeah, I was pretty entertained. What about you? I rated it a 2.5, but on Goodreads, I rounded it up to three. I enjoyed it. It was it was hard to get into initially. The first scenes didn't really grab me. I think there were definitely laugh out loud moments, which was kind of cool. Kind of helped with a bit of the tension. Yes. A lot of the characters were really interesting, well-rounded. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest issue with the book again, is the corner the author seemed to write herself into. Yeah. Okay, now you have this super awesome godlike character. Well, okay, so you write a character like that and now they're they're boring. What, what are they going to do? How are you going to change them? I think for those characters, it really has to be like an internal struggle and a real struggle. Yeah. But we don't have that with Dragos. Then it's not a matter of can they succeed at this physical challenge or can they succeed at XYZ? Then it's the do they want to? Yeah. If they get what they want, do they lose the girl? Then it has to be like this internal, yes, I can kill everyone I want to, but should I? (laughs) I think the closest we got in this book was that he was willing to give up his immortality to be with her. Which is huge. It is huge. But that's not necessarily a struggle. I could see it being a struggle for some characters, but it wasn't for him. That's true. He was just like, yep, it's fine. I don't need it. (laughs) I've lived long enough. (laughs) Well, Erica, did you feel romanced? No, I didn't. I could not get behind the dubious consent. There was just so much of it. And at no point did I really, really feel like it was gone. I felt like it was dubious consent all throughout the book. And it just blew any chance of romance out of the water for me, I think. That's hard to get over. What about you? I did not feel romanced. That will not surprise you, I imagine. (laughs) I mean, it was pretty entertained. There was a lot of it that I liked. I made jokes about the best toy thing. But no, the writing itself, I really enjoyed. I wish I liked the story more. I I can get behind that assessment there. (laughs) (laughs) What else have you been reading? I recently finished Stalked by the Kraken by Lillian Lark. 
So it's another paranormal slash fantasy type romance. Our main character is a witch who is a matchmaker and she works at a sex bathhouse. So the way it works is magical beings come in and they want to be matched by her. And for payment, they have sex in the bathhouse. It can be private, whatever. But they collect the magic that's generated from that and then sell it. So that's how they get paid. Cool. And then our hero is a kraken. He (laughs) is super ancient, basically immortal, shifter kraken dude. And he's decided that this matchmaking witch is his mate. He comes in and says, I want to be matched with you, actually. Oh, my. (laughs) Oh, please tell me someone asked, what's kraken, kraken? No, they didn't. Missed opportunity. It was very lighthearted. Yay! We have a hero that's kind of similar to Dragos, only he's not an (gasps) asshole. Lovely. He's sweet and kind. So an actual alpha. Yeah, yeah. he's not an alpha hole. (laughs) Sweet. The heroine is a witch, and she's really cool. She's funny. She has some insecurity because she just broke up with somebody she thought was her perfect match. Oh. And now she's questioning every match she's ever made. Huh. That's (laughs) clever. I like that. So it's good. What have you been reading? I finished, (laughs) it is short, Whole Body Barefoot by Katie Bowen. It's about the transition between whatever kind of footwear someone's wearing towards minimal footwear. And she does preface it by saying, you know, every foot is different. This may not be for you. Yada, yada, yada. Consult a professional, please. But she gives guidance where that is concerned. You know how I am about footwear. So <laughs> I'm assuming she she says being barefoot is good in general. It really depends on the foot, but she is pro barefoot or close to that. She points out, and I honestly, I never really thought about it, that yes, our foot evolved to walk over tons of different surfaces, stones, roots, sand, all this stuff, right? But anymore, we just walk on flat surfaces. And so that actually can be detrimental to our quote unquote foot health and frankly, whole body health. Because if you have a problem with the way you walk, your gait and all of that, that basically goes upward, right? So whatever your feet are doing to compensate, then your knees will have to do to correct. Then your hips will have to adjust and so on and so forth. Shoulders, neck, all of that. So that way you reach a point where you're kind of walking a bit. I don't know the best way to put it. Different, unhealthily, all of that. Interesting. So, Which okay. it makes sense. I mean, you have to work up towards it. It's not like all of a sudden she is not at all advocating just ditch your shoes immediately and walk around barefoot. You know, there has to be, like she was saying, a transition period to readjust how your foot functions. And she even points out that there are, which I didn't know this, there are mats that you can buy that are rocks <laughs> to help give your foot that surface that it needs to readjust. What my takeaway from it is basically give the muscles in your foot and the tendons greater elasticity so they're not as stiff. And if you're at all interested, there is a gag reel on the audiobook. (laughs) And it is hysterical. (laughs) I died multiple times. It was great. Uh, But if you do get the audiobook, I think there is a PDF that goes with it. But yeah, the gag reel should not be missed. It's great. For that alone, I love her. It's a really interesting read. I think you should check it out. Yeah, my my interest is peaked. That's it for this time. 
Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. And don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. Or come find us on Twitter at RomanceMeCast. Speaking of Twitter, were you romanced by P. Andragos' story? Let us know what you think. And of course, join us next time when we discuss The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan. Bye! Bye. Yeah, I think he would like that song about attracting story. Is there an audiobook? It's on Audible. It's kind of funny though. Slash I didn't do that on purpose. Yeah, the times I haven't done it on purpose. There's been a few times where I have, but most of the time there's no intention. So I think it's great that you did it. <laughs>